Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Okay, so I'm a keen gardener. It's an endless um, sermon illustration uh, topic for me. I like to talk about gardening a lot. Um, So even my best efforts in gardening go wrong. I know it's hard to imagine, but they do. Uh, so you plant some seed and guess what happens? You wake up the next morning and the birds have eaten the seed. That happens quite regularly. Or you put your tomatoes in too early and they die because of the frost. Yep. So it's uh, traps for young players there with um, Tasmanian weather. So you prepare well, you do the, the right things, but even then it doesn't work out. And this is what our lives are like, isn't it? There's, there's things we plan to do, we try and do things and then they just don't work sometimes. You try and fix that leaky shed roof several times and it still doesn't work. Uh, You take your car to the mechanic uh, only for it to break down in two weeks' time. Our efforts are often frustrated. And so what we we have here as we come to Genesis chapter 3 is the world as it is today. We have a world frustrated, a world fallen, a world full of sin, and pain. There's now pain in our relationships. Uh, it's not always roses and happiness, is it? We, it's often, we're often in a battle of wills against other people. We can't, just, we can't just seem to get along. And last week we saw the reason why the world is the way it is, the human sin, our sin against God. And this week we see the consequences of sin, We see the consequences of sin that flow out into every part of life. That sin affects our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and also our relationship with the world. The world is frustrated. It's cursed. It's fallen. There's pain. There's hardship. There is sin. And so we're going to go over this text today, this this passage from Genesis chapter 3, over three points. So God questions... God frustrates and God exiles. And so, as Brody said, there is a lot of judgment here, but it's not all judgment. Uh, there is also good news here for us, even us here today, for God is not only the God who judges rightly, but he's also the God who is full of grace towards undeserving sinners. So that's what we'll see here today. So, verses 8 to 13 is the first scene we're going to look at, verses 8 to 13. And here we see that God questions, he questions Adam and Eve. Now, I'll read that out. This is, by the way, after they've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is after they've sinned. So, that's where we are in the passage today. They've sinned against God, broken his command. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden now when you read this verse don't think this is God out for a nice afternoon walk in the cool of the day it sounds very pleasant doesn't it but no this is not what we have here this is God coming in judgment he's uh, walking and they the Adam and Eve they hear the sound of the Lord don't think oh yeah that's nice this is God's voice they're hearing and they hide This is God inspecting. He's walking back and forth like someone might, uh, a a general might inspect the troops. 
He's walking back and forth, inspecting the garden, seeing what's going on. And God summons Adam and Eve to give an account for what they've done. He calls Adam first. Verse 9, God says, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, of course, God knows where Adam and Eve are, right? He knows where they are. But it's a question to draw out the response from Adam. Adam knows what he's done. His sin is before him. He knows he sinned against the Lord, which is why he's hiding. But for the first time here, Adam fears God. He's afraid of God and he's rightly afraid of God. And Adam realises, what does he realise? He's naked. He's vulnerable. Uh, to be naked is a picture of innocence, like you know, young kids at the beach. They don't, they don't care whether they're clothed or not. They just run around. For Adam, he has lost his moral integrity, his innocence. He hides away because he feels exposed before the Lord. His sin, our sin, is against God. And sin brings shame. You know, when we sin, whether it's our lying or our anger or any number of sins, any, any sin, it brings us shame for what we've done. And so we cover ourselves, you know, perhaps physically, but in other ways as well. We don't want people to find out what we've done. We try and keep it under wraps, hidden, out of sight, because if anyone would find out, we'd be exposed. So verse 11, and he said, this is God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God continues the questions here. Who told you you were naked? Who said that? Have you eaten from the tree? What does Adam do here? He tries the oldest trick in the book, doesn't he? He shifts the blame. He blames God for his sin. Did you notice that? He blames God for making Eve. God, if you hadn't given me Eve, I wouldn't have done it. I'd be still okay. God, it's your fault. That's what Adam's saying. And then God questions Eve. What does she do? Well, she does the same thing, doesn't she? She shifts the blame. She lays the blame at the, 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 at the feet of the serpent, I was going to say, but that doesn't really make sense, does it? The serpent tricked me, it deceived me, which is true to some extent, of course, but it's not entirely true, is it? Eve is the one who ate the fruit and took the fruit. You see, sin brings shame and our response to being found out is often blame-shifting. We try and give reasons, reasons for our sin. So we blame others. You know, you might blame your brother or sister. You might blame your upbringing. You might blame your environment your education. Uh, we explain things away like, I was hungry. I was hangry. I was hangry. That's the reason I, I spoke the way I did. 
I was on the phone for an hour and I was on hold with annoying wait music. That's why I um, spoke the way to the person who answered the phone. Or he or she took my pencil. That's why I punched him under the table or her. You know, we give reasons. I was under pressure. I was under pressure. That's why I rushed the job and didn't quite finish it. Like I said I would. We shift blame. But even though we shift blame, it doesn't get us off the hook with God. Just because I explain and tell people why I shift the blame to someone else doesn't actually mean I'm not sinning, right? It doesn't mean that we aren't morally accountable to God for how we've acted, for our own sin. Even in the messiness of life and um, our relationships, even if people sin against us, even in our own suffering we are still responsible for our sin. It's much better to admit that we're sinners, isn't it? To be honest about it and confess our sins. Why do we confess our sins? Uh, So we can apologise, that's a good thing. Apologise to people we've wronged. But we confess our sins to the God we've offended as well. Ultimately, as King David says in Psalm 51, it's, Against you, God, only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin is against, ultimately against God. And so, confessing sin. We should confess our sins because we have a loving Heavenly Father who delights in forgiving us, His children. It's much better to confess and acknowledge and own our sins rather than to shift blame. You know, God forgives us. He forgives us because God delights in forgiving us because he sent Jesus to endure our shame. He, Jesus was beaten. He was whipped and mocked. Jesus underwent incredible shame and execution, naked on a, on a cross. And he did it for us. He bore the shame that we deserve. So we can, as Christians, go to him to confess, knowing that we're in this relationship with God where God wants us to confess because he delights in forgiving. He loves us. And we can do this because of Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. So Adam and Eve, they're under God's judgment. They've been questioned by God and they've come up short. And so after God hears what they say and how they reply to him, God gives them these punishments, doesn't he? Their sin has consequences, as all sin does. So verse 14 to 20, this is the next scene. And here we, can't, we, see, the world, here we see the world as it is today, under curse, full of hardship. So verse 14, God speaks first of all to the serpent, to the one who tempted Adam and Eve to take from the tree of knowledge, to Satan. And he says, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. You know, maybe, I can't help but think, maybe the snake had legs before this moment, I don't know. (laughs) But the punishment fits the crime, right? 
Your sin of the serpent was about eating from the tree that God said no to. And what's a snake going to eat now? Dust. It's about eating, isn't it? But notice there, the servant is cursed. God's cursed are you above all livestock. You know, Adam and Eve aren't cursed in this passage. They're not cursed, but the serpent is cursed. The serpent is cursed, and this leads to verse 15, where there is a promise that someone, a seed of the woman, offspring of the woman, will crush the head of the snake. But we'll talk about that at the end of the sermon because it's a good moment to finish on. Then God speaks to the woman, to Eve, and God frustrates her role. So verse 16, the first punishment, what is it? Verse 16, it has to do with her role as a mother. Now it's going to be incredibly pain-filled. It's talking about childbirth here, but more than childbirth. It's, it's talking about child-rearing, child-raising, and raising children after the fall is still full of joy, isn't it, and happiness as you just... See your, your children grow up uh, as they learn to talk and walk and drive cars and get jobs, and it's amazing. But raising children is pain-filled as well. Raising children is now difficult, and this is something we can all recognise. And this is especially the, the curse, or the, the punishment for the woman, for the mother. Life in a family isn't always as it should be. And so Eve has a second punishment here, and verse 16 again, your, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, it says there. She'll find that her husband will rule over her rather than acting to strengthen and support her. Her desire is for her husband, maybe uh, she, she wants Adam to act on her behalf. She wants Adam to be on her side. It could mean that she wants to take over Adam's place in the, in, as the, the head of the family and go against her husband. But you see, what, what Eve needs from Adam, her husband is frustrated. It doesn't work. There is a damage within her marriage relationship because of her sin. And this would become a feature of every single relationship since, since then. And this is why we all need God's grace in our relationships. Because often they aren't as they should be. You know, for example, this is why in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives. Paul needs to teach husbands and wives to get along and fulfil their calling and what it means to be Christ-like rather than dysfunctional. And how can we do that? Because of God's grace. We need God's grace, we need Christ to restore and heal relationships, including the marriage one. And we all need to become like Jesus, who is the self-sacrificial one, loving and serving. We need his gospel. And so uh, God uh, punishes Adam, verse 17. We find earlier in Genesis, Adam was made by God to subdue the earth, to tame it, to work the ground. So what does God do here? Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. 
and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the man gets pain added to his role as well. You see, it's not just the woman who gets pain, it's the man. But notice the, cur- the ground is cursed. God curses the ground, but not Adam. Yeah? And because of the cursed ground, his work becomes frustrated. Adam needs to eat, and it's going to take pain to get food. Thorns and thistles will grow in this cursed ground. You know, plants are growing in the wrong place, choking out the plants you need to grow, you know, grain and all sorts of food. And this is a symbolic way of saying that the ground is now out of Adam's control. It doesn't work the way it's meant to. Adam will labour in the ground, he will work the ground and he'll toil, back-breaking toil, but it's frustrated. And I think we know this to be true about our work. Things don't happen as planned. Uh, Things are much more difficult than we'd like them to be. Our work, our day-to-day lives can be things of beauty. We can create wonderful things. We can... Um, work and work can be so satisfying and it can do so much good. Now, there are a few teachers in our church, so I thought I'd give this example. Maybe as a teacher, you teach children to read. Uh, That's an amazing thing and it's amazing to see the lights flick on for children as uh, they, they learn their words and learn how to read. But at other moments... From what I've heard, I think you're pulling out your hair, aren't you? Right? Perhaps literally. You see, God tells Adam that the ground is cursed. Work is frustrated. And he also says to Adam, you are going to return to the dust. You're going to die, Adam. And so what Adam and we need to think about as people here today, we need to think about death, don't we? You know, whatever whatever Adam would do in his painful labour, his labour, however much work he put in, it turns out it's only temporary. It's limited. There's an end. And we've got to remember this as well, our work and other parts of our life, our, our years of, as children, our house, our athletic ability. These are gifts from God that are meant to be enjoyed in the season we have them, but God has set limits and times on our lives. I mean, tomorrow is the funeral of the Queen. Uh, and this week is a time of reflection on her life. But in a very real sense, um, when you go to a funeral or think about death, it should make us think about ourselves. That's what funerals are good for. It should make us think about our frailty and to live in light of what really matters, to examine the purpose of our own lives and what life is for. Death ought to make us consider ourselves before the judgment seat of God. As Hebrews says, we're appointed to die once and face the judgment to consider eternity. 
our coming death means we all need to trust in Jesus, not someday, but today, right now. Because to face the question of eternity without Christ is, is hopeless. We need to go to eternity, to our own death, with the assurance that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I read those words with someone dying yesterday. It's an amazing promise, isn't it? Jesus is the resurrection and the life for all who believe in him. And so we move into the third scene where God sends Adam and Eve into exile. And what we see here in this exile is both a judgment and a grace. Through judgment, God in his wisdom displays his grace to us. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. God, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man now has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Their sin deserves punishment. And yet, at the same time, God is gracious to them. And you see this in so many ways. I'll point out a few. Verse 20. Look at verse 20. Adam names his wife Eve. Eve will still be, even after all they have done, Eve will still be the mother of the living. It's amazing, isn't it? Even after the fall, God will continue to care for his world and people. Verse 21. Look at verse 21. God makes clothes out of animal skins. Why? Why does he do that? God kills an animal. He sheds blood. Not Adam's blood. Not Eve's blood. But the blood of a substitute dies in their place. A life is sacrificed for them to clothe them with these beautiful fur coats to cover their shame. Verse 22, look at verse 22. God decides to stop Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of life. They won't eat from the tree and live forever. And this is a judgment. They are sent into exile. They're sent away from God away from God's presence and these, these angelic cherubim guarding the garden and there's a sword there, a flaming sword guards the way to the tree. They can't go there. And where is it? They're in the east. Notice there? In the east, verse 24. Being in the east is not a good place to be in Genesis. You're away from God's presence. And blessing. But even then, there is grace. Think about it. Adam and Eve, if they had eaten from the tree while they were sinners, what would, that, what would happen then? Think about that. While they were in their state of sin, they would spend an eternity in a fallen state. 
What would that be like? Forever sinful, forever proud, forever coveting, forever wanting to take revenge, forever sinning against the Lord. It's, it's I think, what hell is like, isn't it? But see God's wisdom on display. They're set, they're barred from the tree, they cannot eat of the tree, they will die, they're going to return to the dust, the wages of sin is death, and yet in God's wisdom, death is, as we explore through the Bible, for the believer transformed, isn't it? Those who call on the name of the Lord, those who have faith in God, in the Messiah, Jesus, death becomes the end of sin, you see? And if we trust in Jesus, our death is not the end of life. In God's wisdom, even in this judgment, there is grace. But this is most clearly seen in Genesis 3.15. And this is the great promise, the gospel promise, the good news proclaimed. Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So you see, this is why we read the genealogy before in Luke's Gospel. Thank you, Noel, well done. Yeah, you did a fantastic job. The offspring of the woman. We noticed that there in Luke's Gospel, didn't we? An offspring person would be born because who is from the line of the woman. That list of names is, a point, is important because it points out that Jesus really is this, in this line. Jesus fulfills this verse here in Genesis 3.15. He is the one, if you notice there in Luke as well, who did battle with the snake in the wilderness. And at the cross, he dealt the crushing blow onto the head of the snake. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Genesis 3.15 is the gospel. It's the first announcement of the gospel. And we see here that God would transform, even regenerate people. And it says there that there would be godly offspring from Eve. You see, God would save them from their sins and God would take uh, them out of Satan's kingdom and bring them into the kingdom of his son. And there's this enmity that goes on between the kingdoms. But all those who belong to the snake crusher are saved to walk in God's ways, live in God's light and trust in God's promises. Genesis 3.15 is the gospel and right here at the beginning of the Bible, you see there's judgment here but there's also grace. Genesis 3, we're wrapping up Genesis for the moment and I think this is a good point to finish on. We can't understand this part of the Bible unless we see Jesus. Because it points us toward the one who would crush the serpent. The one who poured out his own blood on behalf of his people to cleanse us from our sins. The one who endured the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the curse of God by hanging on a tree. In Christ's death, he pays for our sins and he clothes us with his righteousness of life. 
our guilt paid for, our shame clothed. Jesus passed through the flaming sword of God's justice at the cross for us. And in him, we now have access to the tree of life in the paradise of God and will dwell with God forever. Jesus endured God's judgment so that we could experience God's amazing grace. 